Hey everyone, it's Monday. Happy Monday to you. You are tuning in to remarnurse.com. This is our live weekly broadcast. And if you're preparing for NCLEX, we're going over post-operative care for nurses. And I am very, very, very grateful to start another week. Who's grateful that they have another Monday to begin? And I am Regina Callion. If this is your first time joining me here at remarnurse.com. You can call me Professor Regina, and we are going to help you pass your NCLEX this year. So again, post-operative nursing care is our topic on today. So we're going to go over essentially what it means to be in the post-anesthesia care unit and, you know, the, the transition from the clinical care unit to the home care unit. So we're going to get into all of that on today. I have Remar nurses joining me all over the world. And if you are in the NCLEX space, then you know that the biggest topic, the biggest topic for nursing students right now who are graduating is this, bam, next gen NCLEX. So I'm telling you that if you are looking to take the next generation of NCLEX programming, um, then Remar V2 is that program for you. It includes all of my lectures. You guys know that I have spent a great deal of time making sure that my lectures and my course is appropriate for next-gen NCLEX. Also, we have the question bank kicking off, and that is something that I'm really going to be, um, I'm going to show you some of that today, but my program includes the 30-day challenge as well. There's just a a whole slew of resources that I make available so that you are ready for next-gen NCLEX. Check it out. We're going to go into it later on about how you can use it to pass the NCLEX exam, reduce your anxiety, and know exactly what to do. So let's go. Post-anesthesia care, post-anesthesia care unit. Here we go. The idea of being in the post-operative care or post-anesthesia care, because typically when we talk about post-operative, we're talking about the person who has had what? Person who has had a surgery. So if you are having a surgery, more than likely you're getting cut open, you are getting anesthesia, and you require some attention after that's done. So post-operative care is the beginning right? It is when the surgery has ended, hence the term post, and while the client recovers in the post-anesthesia unit. Sometimes this is called the what? The PACU. So if you are applying for nursing jobs online and you're, they're like, hey, we're looking for a nurse in the PACU, understand that you are essentially going to be a surgical nurse, PACU, post-anesthesia care unit. And so this period that we will be monitoring the patient will extend, okay? It will be like after they have surgery, while they're recovering from anesthesia, and then it ends once the client is either discharged home, it's the same day surgery, or if they're transferred to a different setting, maybe a different clinical care unit or a different facility. And so the, the standard of care that we are going to give the patient as nurses should be the same, regardless of what surgical setting they are in or what's going to happen to them afterwards. We as nurses believe that we operate by evidence and we are holding ourselves to the highest standard of keeping our patients safe and healthy. Okay. Now, when we talk about postoperative care, remember that this is care provided postoperatively and there are two factors that you are going to be really, really investigating. That is the patient's response to their surgery and anesthesia, okay? And when you talk about surgery, understand that the surgery or procedure is traumatic. It's a trauma to the patient, even if it's a planned surgery. Hi, welcome everyone who is first time. This is actually how to pass NCLEX and Monday motivation. So if you're a nursing student, you're in the right place. So remember, even when we talk about 
a planned surgery. So say, you know, a woman has decided she no longer wants to have children and she's going to get her tubes tied or her tubes removed or a, you know, a, a diabetic client is saying, hey, this foot is, you know, it is dying. The tissues have necrosis. There's gangrene. I want to cut it off. Either way, whether this is a planned or unplanned surgery, they're still considered a trauma happening. So our surgery patients are actually trauma patients because some unexpected event has happened to their body and it's going to be changes afterwards. So we have to understand that surgery is a trauma and it disrupts the protective mechanisms that are in place naturally and homeostasis. So that is one consideration for your patient. The second one is that anesthesia is dangerous and it, it impairs the, uh, the client's ability to respond normally. Now, you may be thinking, okay, yes, that makes sense. Uh, anesthesia inhibits your, your uh, ability to respond. I know that. But this is what I need you to remember as nursing students, even though we expect anesthesia to change vital signs, to change level of consciousness in our patients, as a nurse, you still have to do something about it. So we can say, okay, no, let me not get too much ahead of myself. Let me not go there yet. But understand this, you have to respond to anesthesia as a nurse. Even though we know it's gonna make changes in the body, there's still something for NCLEX that you should be doing about it. All right, so we're gonna get into that. Now, let us talk about the, um, the process that the patient will go through. I mentioned this earlier, they are going to have the surgery, then go into the post anesthesia care unit. And so we are focusing here on the immediate care for a client who is in an anesthetized state. And we are trying to make sure that their trauma, their current condition does not need for them to have any escalation of interventions. So we are trying to wake them up. We are trying to make sure the vital signs are stable and we're trying to make sure that they are pain free. And that is what happens in the PACU, post anesthesia care unit. Now the clinical unit is where you will go at a, as a next step, depending on what type of surgery you have. You know, post anesthesia, when you think about it, if you wanna work in the PACU, you understand that you're gonna be spending very limited time with patients. You are going to have a high turnover of patients, you know? So this is a very fast moving place. You need to be, you know, very great with your assessments, recognizing when patients are declining here in the PACU because you're not gonna be able to spend a lot of time with them. And more than likely, they're not gonna be able to tell you when they are feeling bad because they're anesthetized. Now, uh, patients can also go from the PACU to home depending on the type of surgery that they have. So the home care is essentially what the patient will be doing as, a, as they're performing self-care or as they are monitoring or being monitored outside at home. Very important to NCLEX is this idea of endorsement or handoff report, okay? Very, very, very important is you need to be able to understand the important components of handing off or reporting your patient's condition to another healthcare provider. So for example, the anesthesia report, okay? So if we're talking about anesthesia report, then we are going to, we are going to be talking about the types of condition that your patient is in based off the anesthesia that they've been given. All right. So, and essentially, you know, if you're given an anesthesia provider's report, you're going to give the name of the patient and pay attention because you guys know I do NCLEX questions at the end. Okay. So the anesthesia report is basically, hey, this patient, name, age, sex, what surgery they had, 
what type of anesthesia they had. Now, what are some things you want to know? If the surgeon says, hey, I had to give the patient fentanyl or the, you know, or the anesthetician says, hey, I had to give the patient fentanyl. What are some things that we need to know as a report? If you're taking this patient as a nurse, what are some things you want to know about this patient that had to get propofol or fentanyl during their appendectomy? Well, what are some things we need to know about the patient? Because you're going to be taking care of that patient. And I see the comment on the screen. Yes, medications. What other medications did they have? Did they have any blood pressure medications? Did they have any, what do I have on my notes here? Um, did they have any antibiotics going on? So we want to know other medications. Absolutely. Great job, Sharita. We want to know allergies. What else is my patient allergic to? Mm -hmm. There's something else I'm looking for. The amount of blood loss. Yes. How much blood did they lose? Because that's going to affect what I'm looking for. Ah, there we are, Valencia. I want to know my patient's vital signs. You gave my patient fentanyl. Okay, perfect. They have no pain then. What are their vital signs currently? Right. And in addition, I love that response, blood loss. All right. How much blood did they lose? Did they lose 300 milliliters of blood? They lose 500 because that's going to affect the patient's blood pressure. We want to know, uh, is the patient alert? Their respiratory status, their vital signs. Exactly. Um, level of consciousness. Absolutely. Mm hmm. Are they on oxygen right now? What is their gag reflex? Good job. All right. Hey, there's something I'm missing. Where are we at? What type of patient are we? If we are, if we are in the PACU, then we absolutely should be looking for a what? What should our patient have on their bodies that we need to know about? I didn't see it yet. All right. What did you give them fentanyl for? Well, I did say, and I guess I said an appendectomy, but I was thinking, we need to know about their wound. Where is their surgical site? What, you know, where is it? What do it look like? Is it clean, dry, intact? Is it bleeding? Is it reinforced? So good job. You're an output as well. What is the kidney? What are the kidneys doing? Mm -hmm. Good job. All right. So the anesthesia provider report is going to be giving us it is going to be giving us a status of our patient, right? The type of anesthesia they had, the type of IV fluids that they had as well. All right. I'm celebrating all of my Remar nurses who are passing the NCLEX coming on here. Okay. Now the circulating, this is great. The circulating nurse handoff report this is going to be the report. This is going to be the report that you take from the nurse, you know, who was in the surgical area, right? The circulating nurse. Yes. Also, are there any drains, right? And so that that's the first thing, you know, that you'll be asking to is the circulating nurse. So here's some things that we want to be asking from the circulating nurse. Vital signs. We want to know the the positioning of our patient, okay? If they are not waking up from surgery, you know, are they flat? We kind of want them to be flat, head turned to the side, and we want to know what their condition is. Also, what type of surgery did they have? Somebody mentioned this before. Are there any drains? We also want to know, are there any implants? Are there any, is there any explants? Implants, implants, explants, transplants. What does that wound look like? Where is it? What type of dressing is it? The, you know, the urinary catheter. We're going to expect the urinary catheter for somebody in surgery. What's in it? Also, we're going to want to know about pain. Hey, pain. Is the patient up? Are they crying? Are they at you know, are they comfortable? And then for the circulating nurse, we want to know, hey, is there any family in the waiting area? Who's with them? Who's accompanying them? Who, you know, who do I get? Who should be at the bedside? 
There you go. All right. So you want to make sure before you take a surgical patient, you have the information that you need to take care of that patient. And that's that responsibility is always on you. When I was a new nurse, I I used to be so nervous to get report from the ER nurses that would be sending patients to my floor. And the hospital that I worked at, you had to take your own report. The charge nurse did not take the report if you were going to get an admission. So what I would do before I would, at the start of my shift or even at home, I would have these, these report sheets and I would write down everything I was supposed to ask, name of the patient, uh, relevant history, vital signs, allergies. Uh, I would put if they had an IV, if they had a drain, their condition of their skin, their level of consciousness. And I would just write those things down. And then when somebody would say I was getting a report, I would run and get my paper and then I would have it. Because the ER nurse, let me tell you, they are, <laughs> they are trying to get those patients off of the unit to you as quickly as possible, right? Because they have more patients coming in. So if you don't say when, you know, if you don't ask the questions, basically you might not get the information, period. And there's been some horror stories of patients coming up from the ER and they have all these things that the nurse didn't know about them. They were, they didn't have a leg or, you know, their vital signs or, you know, just all these challenges that you can have if you don't know upfront. So yes, you should be asking, when was the last time the patient got pain medicine? Are they conscious? You know, um, can they walk or do they use a walker? You know, those things like that. So these are all specific things that you need to know before you take a patient, before you take a patient, you want to know the major things about them. All right. Now, once that patient arrives to the PACU and you are responsible, okay, and you are responsible for that patient, then you need to know your immediate priorities. And these are your immediate priorities, guys, okay? And uh, most of you guys know A, B, C, D. Well, maybe you might not know D, but you know A, B, Cs. Airway, breathing, circulation. And the airway is so important because if your patient is coming to you, even if they don't have oxygen, if your patient is coming to you and they're unconscious, you need to make sure that their airway is clear because there's, there's a lot of things that can block a patient's airway when they're unconscious, all right? Number one, their tongue. It is very easy for the tongue to be in the back of the throat and blocking the airway totally. And so you can just have a patient and you're looking at the patient and you're like, okay, they're just sleeping, they're unconscious, but their airway is totally blocked. And so you would definitely not want that. What is another thing after surgery that can block a patient's airways? Oh, I hope you guys get this one. Actually, this should have been a question at the end. Mm, it's not, but anyways, you guys can tell me. So yes, the tongue, we're talking about things that can block the airway of a patient who just had surgery. Ah, good job. You guys got it. I see it. Yes, the secretions. Because if you're unconscious, you are not what? You're not swallowing. You're not swallowing, all right? And your position is, is not going to be, you know, allowing you most of the time to drain secretions. So mucus secretions, yes. And so those things can block an airway. You have to be able to be responsive to that. Breathing, of course, breathing, breathing, breathing is also going to be something that is an immediate priority, especially for NCLEX. Airway, breathing. Yes, that gag ref reflex is gone. So you may have to suction your patient or you may have to do, you know, the, the, the jaw thrust maneuver to open up their airway for that patient. So I say A, B, C, and then D. D stands for a decreased level of consciousness. Here it's just level of consciousness. But of course, patients who are anesthetized, 
don't have the same level of consciousness. So that means they cannot protect themselves. They are not able to say, hey, this hurts or I got, uh, you know, uh, I got a towel underneath my skin that's hurting me or this position is not right. They are not responding and they're not fully awake. They may not be oriented to time and place. All those things you need to be able to evaluate. Reflexes, because the patient is anesthetized, we talked about this, the level of consciousness is, um, and the reflexes are not going to be there. So that means the patient doesn't have the ability to produce a what. What is, when it comes to clearing your airway, what is the most important thing that you need to be able to produce? And it happens to my kids all the time. <laughs> and as a nurse, you know, especially if they're swimming and they come out of the water and they're like, mom, I can't, I'm drowning. I'm, you know, and I'm looking at them and I'm seeing them do what? And I know their airway is fine. Their airway is going to be fine because they're producing a, give it to me in the comments. Very important. When we talk about reflexes, yes, they're producing a cough. They're coughing like, <laughs> mom, I'm drowning. <laughs> and I'm like, as long as you're coughing, that airway is going to be clear, baby. So we want to see the ability to produce a cough and or gag reflexes. Very good. You guys are tracking with me today. Now, also, we are looking at the activity, the ability to move extremities is also important because you can change positions. The operative site, talking about the operative site, where is that dressing? Somebody who has had surgery has a dressing somewhere. What is the drainage on that operative site? What is the amount of it? What is the activity? What is the color of it? And what is the type of it? So we should be very proficient in making sure that we go ahead and circle. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm a believer in circling some drainage because I want to know what the change is on my shift. I don't care what the other nurses did. They, they want to keep it, you know, keep it looking good and clean and intact. If I see some drainage, I am circling that drainage because I want to know, is it, is it expanding or not? So you just circle it, date it, time it, you'll be good. Also, if there's any tubes or drains, just the type of catheters, tubes or drains in place. Discomfort, monitoring the patient. We can talk about pain, okay? We can talk about pain, but also what is another type of, mm, what's another type of discomfort that patients have post operatively or post-surgically that I think is very, uh, it's very needful to talk about and to address. And if you are a nurse and you don't see this written in your patient's chart, then you need to tell the doctor, hey, I may need this. What is it? Restlessness, constipation. No, constipation, you know what? Constipation, you do. You making the connection because anesthesia is a depressant, so it slows everything down. But I'm not going to see constipation in the immediate postoperative period. Remember, we're talking about PACU nursing. So this is what you're going to experience probably, you know, as your patient is waking up that first hour or so. Okay, come with it, Grace. <laughs> yes, our postoperative patient. Let me tell you about those, you know, those heavy, heavy opioids, pain medications. They make you feel great, but they also make you feel so nauseated when the patient is waking up because more than likely you can't eat before the procedure. So you're on an empty stomach. You know, you may be having some, some blood sugar, you know, dropping down. And it's just like when patients wake up, more than likely, they're not going to be experiencing pain, but they will have some nausea. They will have some vomiting. So if you weren't getting the PACU, you better be used to some vomit because patients who are heavily sedated when they wake up, they're nauseated. So that's a part of discomfort. It's not about pain only, but let's get on board with keeping our patients comfortable without nausea. Can I get an amen for that? Because nausea is not fun. Safety. Safety. 
the um, necessity of putting a call bell in reach, necessity of having the patient having side rails up to make sure that they are safe, they don't fall out of bed, falls risk, right, right, you know, right socks on, those type of things also want to be addressed. This is a, this is called the Aldriot Post Anesthesia Recovery Score. You do not need to know this for NCLEX, okay? Sometimes in, in nursing school, we have the propensity to, or our teachers are, are very, you know, aggressive about us learning certain things. And so you may see this on your nursing school exams, but you won't have to know this for NCLEX. I likes to be thorough though. So the Aldriot Post Anesthesia Recovery Score is just a way for us to monitor a patient, essentially their, their readiness for discharge. And so this is important because you don't want to send someone home who their activity is not what it was when they uh, are, uh, their activity is not what it was when they were initially brought into the, the hospital, right? Their respirations. Can't just send somebody home with inappropriate breathing patterns and if they are not arousable. So with the Aldriot Post Anesthesia Recovery Score, most most patients require a 10 to be discharged or be moved to a different place. All right, you guys are tracking with me in that regards. Let's see. And so as we are considering discharging patients from the PACU, we now have to send them either to an, another care unit or send them home. If we're sending them to a nursery nursing unit, we have to tell as nurses, the PACU nurses, we need to tell the operation that they had, the presence and the location of any drains post and the anesthetic used, okay? Because that's a medication and we as nurses are familiar with medications. We have to be the post-operative diagnosis now, okay? What do they have now that that thing or that tumor has been removed? Estimated blood loss medications that were given in the PACU. And so, yes, this is the responsibility of the PACU nurse to give this information, but it's also the responsibility of the admission nurse who's going to be taking this patient because continuity of care is very important. I just want to stop and pause and say thank you to all of my nursing students that are international. Rep your country, where you from? I know I got Canada in the house, the Philippines, always up late nights watching, even though it's, you know, it's noon here, it's probably like 1 a.m. in the Philippines. So I appreciate you guys so much for coming to this class every Monday. All right, also, now we are um, just going to go into, I for this initial assessment, continuing to monitor assessment is not something that you guys don't know. You know this stuff. The only thing that I want to say, honestly, about this, shout out to Ghana, shout out to Jamaica, Nigeria in the house, Cameroon, stand up, Haiti, I see you. Okay, the only thing I want to say about this slide is you guys already know you need to monitor uh, you know, the labs, the vital signs, what the patient's diet is going to be, all that stuff. My main point is this. If your patient has had some anesthesia, we know that that is going to do what? We know it's going to bring the respirations down. We know it may, you know, bring the blood pressure down. We know it may just sedate the patient, right? There's still, you still have to do something about that. It is not okay for NCLEX to be like, okay, the patient's respirations are seven, but they had propothal. So I'm just gonna document that as normal. You have to do something about that. Anything that is abnormal on your patient, the nurse has to do something about it. So we cannot ever use the fact that the patient has had anesthesia and say, uh, that'll, that'll resolve on its own, okay? Make sure that you are remembering that point because I don't really have to go into all of this other stuff. You guys know that when a patient comes from the PACU, then they are, you know, supposed to have the, the clear liquid diet first. 
that's in quick facts. The positioning of the bed. We we typically, you know, want our patients to be in the supine position, especially as they are trying to reorient themselves and wake up. Um, any medications, diagnostic tests, those all need to be monitored. If they've had a, a surgery and they lost a lot of blood, then we know that they may have a laboratory result that comes back with anemia. And so we're going to be monitoring that. We're going to be letting the doctor know about it. Okay. Activity. Are they allowed to ambulate? Are they not allowed to ambulate? These things are all going to be important. Monitoring the patient every 15 minutes. And then um, it could be every hour or it could be every four hours as we are progressing our patient to different units of care. So these are our priorities in the post-operative care unit, pain management, okay, positioning, clients who have had any kind of spinal anesthesia, you have to lay flat for eight to 12 hours, okay? If a person is unconscious, they, you know, are semi-conscious, they should be, um, you know, either turned to the side because if they vomit or anything else like that, that is going to allow the drainage to go or they're gonna be flat with one head turned to the side. Okay, all right. Um, leg ex exercises, because patients maybe have been in, uh, you know, in the supine position for a long time, we don't want them to have any stasis of, or, or blood in the veins, any thrombus, any clots from being stationary. So we wanna do some leg exercises. The best thing a patient could do after surgery is what? Get up and walk. That is the best thing that, a patient can do no matter what type of surgery they had you know especially if you have like knee replacements or whatever they start working out those legs right away you know putting them in that machine extending the legs contracting extending extending right um you know if you've had uh even your what a cesarean section right you don't get up walk around move around because pregnant women and blood clots very uh very common paired together. So you want to get up and make sure you're walking around. The best thing you can do for any patient who has had surgery is to ambulate them, get that blood flowing. Adequate hydration, urinary uh, makes sense. We want to hydrate our patients. Urinary and GI function as well. Dietary concerns. The surgeon orders the client's first post-operative diet, not the nurse, not the doctor. And then so the extent of the surgery and the organs involved is going to determine whether or not the patient can have food in their mouth. OK, also, uh, we never feed a patient that's nauseated or vomiting. You guys know that. Diets. Here's that's diet. Suction management. So some patients who have had um, and this is this is talking about a gastric or intestinal tube for suctioning. And so this suction can be continuous or it could be intermittent. But whenever a patient has ha is having suction, if they're having gastric content suction out, what do we need to make sure that they're getting at the same time? Pretty much any patient on suction should be getting what? As a supplement to suction. What do you guys think? Because with suction, you're losing a lot of what? I'm gonna give you guys time to think. I don't always like giving you the answers right away because this is real life stuff. So if my patient's on suction, they need to be getting not oxygen, not oxygen, oh, not oxygen. Think about what is, think about what suction is. And I'm talking about gastric suction, gastric suction. Mm, yes, Rose, fluids, IV fluids because the patient is losing a lot of gastric fluid. So you wanna be replacing that with IV fluids. Even if the patient can't eat, they are still at risk for dehydration and electrolyte imbalances, okay? Yeah. Oh, I gotta go back, and wound care. Wound care is essentially going to be, uh, because it is our intention that the wound is um, to be in a, in a position to heal itself. So we are going to make sure that there is, you know, no absence of bleeding, no inflammation, redness or swelling around the edges. We're also going to be looking at scar formation. Scar formation is going to be the best, um, best way to tell that the wound is doing very good. Uh, collagen is producing a scar. And so that is great for our patient. OK, and then home care, 
for home care, we're discharging the patient, making sure that they are able to manage their own comfort and that they're able to promote healing, whether that's either with hygiene or activity restrictions, you know, such as avoid lifting, things like that. Restoring wellness means discussing the relationship of the surgery and any possible stressors that the patient might have in their immune system, making sure they don't have any kind of nosocomial infections from the hospital, their upper airway is clear, knowing the patient can uh, rest as well. If they need to stop smoking, stop smoking as well. And then any referrals as well, where the patient will be maybe getting home health for that wound care, assistance with activities of daily living, or if they need to go um, to another community social service area to have care provided. So with that being said, we are going to get into our NCLEX questions or how to pass NCLEX questions. So if you're here, this is the time now that you can participate. And we're also going to be doing our 50-50 bonus, meaning that if we have, let me see here, let me go to Remar review, because I have to see how many people I have. I'm just giving it to YouTube. If we get a certain amount of likes on the video from YouTube, then we will do our bonus question, which is very good today. So we have 233 people watching on YouTube and I got 39 likes. So that won't do. So we have to get to, what's the number, Mark? We got 233 people watching on YouTube for the 50-50 bonus. Is it? Okay, so we have to get to 115 likes. YouTube, you could do it. I'm giving you a second right now. 115 likes to get to our fifth bonus question. Here's our first question. Here's our first question. All right. <laughs> Which of the following information is included in a circulating nurse's handoff report as the post-operative client is endorsed to the post-anesthesia care unit? What will we expect? Number one, clients' valuables. Two, clients' explants and implants. Three, clients' discharge summary. Four, clients' moderate Aldriate score. Here we go, guys. This is something that we talked about during the lecture. So if you were paying attention, you caught it. It's okay if you didn't catch it, because this is about, you know, just reviewing our lecture topic. But the correct answer is I see the I see. Nurses are, you, you guys are down to two or three. Correct answer is actually two, 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 two. The circulating nurse should include in the endorsement, the client's physiological and psychological assessment, medications, pain management, implants, transplants, explants, <laughs> specimen collection, fluids and drains. And so this is important to give a continuity of care. All right, remember, we're sending the patient off to another unit. So that nurse um, in the PACU needs to have this information. Next question here. A post-operative client suddenly vomited while in the immediate post-operative period. The PACU nurse knows that this could cause, number one, wound dis dehiscence, two, infection three, electrolyte imbalance, four, aspiration. What are we worried about here? And this is so good because this is priority here. All of these answers are right. Every last one of them are right. I love this question, actually. Anything you pick on here could be right, but only one is right for NCLEX. Oh. Terrible. That's the choice. <laughs> That's the challenge. That is the challenge for NCLEX. Oh man. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Woo. That's a challenge for NCLEX. This is that next gen type feel because 
with next generation NCLEX, what I'm seeing and what is in my, um, what, what I did, I did activate the computer adaptive test, right? So what I'm noticing is that it is scenarios and I'm focusing on scenarios to help apply safety, help apply safety principles in, mm, that's all. Let me, okay, let me see. <laughs> all right, correct answer. All of them are right, remember. Aspiration. This is the priority number four, okay? Clients during the immediate post-operative phase are not yet fully alert. For this reason, aspiration may happen, okay? So everything that you needed to know in this question was given to you. Wound dehiscence develops if the client um, vomits violently, right? If you're throwing up constantly, then you might bust through the stitches. You might, that might happen. Prolonged vomiting is going to lead to the electrolyte imbalance. And then, you know, infections are going to lead to the exposure of pathogens. So like I said, with NCLEX, every last one of these things are right. But is the timing, the timing here becomes the priority. Ooh, so good. So good, guys. All right, um, let's go to the next question. The PACU nurse is monitoring a client post-appendectomy. The client still has not awakened from the surgery. The client has patent intravenous fluid running at 15 microdrops per minute and a Penrose drain in place. The PACU nurse should position the client in. Is it semi-fowlers? Right side lying, flat with head turned to the side, prone with head extended. Mm -mm. What do you guys think? Priorities here, but this is critical thinking because I believe that you guys know if it was just, never mind. <laughs> I don't want to talk. I just want you guys to have the opportunity to think. I'll talk later. All right. We are 12 likes away from meeting our goal. 12 likes away. What's the goal? 113 or 115? 115. Oh, no. We're 14 likes away. Correct answer. Correct answer for the appendectomy is going to be, all right, Flat with the head turned to the side. If the client has not awakened from anesthesia, the client must remain supine um, and flat on the bed with the head turned to the side. This will help to keep the body aligned. All right. So three is the correct answer here. I saw a lot of people picking um, number one, semi-fowlers. And I think it just may be... Uh, um, Semifowlers for appendectomy is when the person is conscious, all right? And then so you can have them sitting up, propped up in the semifowlers position, you guys know. But if your patient is unconscious and they are propped up to a certain degree and gravity starts to take place, right? Gravity starts to take place. They can slide down and they're not conscious yet to know to sit themselves back up. Patient has a Penrose drain in place you know, they could disrupt that. They could be all over the place, all right? So again, we have to consider the location or the environment, which is one of the new things on the next generation NCLEX. When we talk about the clinical judgment measurement model, one of the factors is going to be your environment. And so NCLEX is going to emphasize how priorities change how care changes based on your environment, right? How priorities change based on your environment. And this is a new feature. Uh, and to me, it's, it's more new. I think before it was about, you know, the, the patient is Caucasian or they're Black or they're Hispanic or they are Jehovah's Witness. And so we were focusing on characteristics of the patient 
in terms of how to provide care. Now it's characteristics of their environment and what changes in that place, regardless of what color they are, regardless of what color they are. And so if this is your first time joining me on Monday, this is how we get down. We talk about real nursing. We talk about how to pass your NCLEX. I love it. I love that y'all are here. Okay. Question number four is this. I like this one as well. Which of the following assessment indicates that the patient is, mm, that, that, that the post-operative client is ready to be discharged from the PACU? Okay. That's it. Number one, coughs and gags. Two, the post-anesthetic score five. Number three, upper limbs are movable. Number four, fluctuating vital signs. What saith you? How do we know that this patient is ready to go? Ready to go. We know that they're ready to go because they have indeed the ability to produce cough and gag and cough and gag. All right. So the, the, they're ready to go. They're ready for discharge to the next level. When the client is fully coherent, return a function such as the protective reflexes, such as coughing and gagging. The post anesthetic score I gave y'all was nine, if we're using that. And then the upper and lower limbs are moved freely and the vital signs are stable and with stable vital signs. Okay. So now it's time to see, do we make our goal? Okay. We make our share goal. I'm going to check it out here. Also, don't forget, guys, the V2 is now available and you can do a free trial of the V2. If you don't have my program and you want to check it out, you want to see what the lecture is like, the practice exams. All right. You can check out the free trial of this. All right. Go right in there. And get into it. Let's see. Hey, all right. And that is something that is available to you 24 seven. If you have the free trial, let me know in the comments. I want to see what it is like. And guess what, guys? We did make our, we did make our NCLEX bonus question. Shout out to YouTube. You got it done on today. So the bonus question is unlocked. Here it is. This is a good one. Surgical incisions are the most common cause of infection postoperatively. Okay. Which of the following assessment indicates that the wound is healing? Number one, absence of wound edge. Two, fresh bleeding. Three, scar formation. Four, progressing inflammation. So which one is going to indicate that the wound is healing? All right. Correct answer. I see it on the screen. Very good, nursing students. Very good. Correct answer is indeed three scar formation. We want to have that scar formation. The sequential phases of wound healing start with the absence of bleeding and the absence of clots binding to the wound edges. Less inflammation begins a day after the surgery. Scar formation and collagen synthesis starts four days after the surgery. So lastly, the diminished scar size over um, a period of months or years is going to um, happen. And hopefully the increase in scar size we don't see, but that would indicate a keloid formation. So your, your topic of post-operative nursing care has been delivered. Thank you for joining me for this class. It's time for us to move into our next phase of our Mondays. How'd you do? Four out of five, three out of five, five out of five. Five out of five would be amazing. I would consider you to be prepared for NCLEX. If you got a five out of five, then you definitely understand the concepts of post-operative nursing care. But how about we have some motivation? Because on Mondays can be tough. So motivation is this. There's no better time than now. Your future actually is right now. You're making it. You're making your future right now, everything that you're doing today. Man, I can't tell you how much I am getting these types of questions that the NCLEX is literally changing in a few days. And it seems like I've been talking about this forever because I started last year. But 
it's literally down to a few days countdown. And I'm just asking you guys who are taking it, you know, are you still in experiencing anxiety? Are you still using a ton of, you know, old books to get yourself ready, trying to make sense of it? Or are you just doing nothing? Are you like, listen, I can't even process this right now. I didn't wait it. And now the thing has come. So are you in any of these categories today on Monday? Because if you are, all I want to say is this, like, if you are waiting for something or somebody to tell you that you need to get serious, then guess what? I'm serving up that for you today. I'm not disappointing you guys. The time is now, man. All right. You need to get started right now, but not always doing like, you know, you got to be willing to commit to this process. I really, 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 really want you to understand that because later and yesterday, there's nothing there for you. Okay. The, the time is now we didn't, we have the opportunity to get our nursing license. And for many of us, the next time may never come. And I'm saying this not to say like, you know, something bad or doom or gloom is going to happen. But I'm saying like in the grand scheme of things, it takes people a long time to overcome putting something off or procrastination. You guys know if you don't immediately do something now, then what's going to happen is one month is going to go by, two months is going to go by, three months are going to go by, and you are still going to be in the same place. Years can go by and you will not have changed anything. Still going to be, you know, going to a job you're not happy with. Still going to be probably living check to check. Still going to be worrying about, you know, I can't really afford to have any kind of accidents or emergencies come up because I'm only making $12 at my job, $14 at my job. I'm not really getting along with my coworkers and or you are working in healthcare and you end up doing more because you actually know more as a nurse. You end up doing more, but getting paid the same. So a lot of nursing students or nurse, yeah, a lot of nurse graduates who don't have their NCLEX passed, they work in hospitals as nurses' aides, but they are doing a lot of extra work because their coworkers know that they have the ability to do it. So they allow them to do it, but they're not getting paid for it. And the nurse manager is okay because you still get in that same salary, but you are doing more. Let me tell you guys this. You guys who pass the NCLEX will become millionaires, okay? Over your lifetime, you will accumulate about a million dollars. What's stopping you from reaching that million dollar income? What is it? Is it the current job you're working at? Is it their, your current priorities? Um, what are you letting get in the way of a million dollars that you will earn? And I say this all the time, you're a new nurse, you're gonna come out making 50, 60, $70,000, right? You work for 10 years, that's 500, half a million dollars, 600,000, $700,000. What could you do with that? Whoa, how would your life change? You know, and not, you know, some of some of us gonna be in the game for 10, 15, 20 years. Million dollar person working at Walmart, working at KFC, working as a nurse's aide. You know, so it's just like it, every nurse that I know who passes NCLEX and gets their license. When I talk to them, it is like, hey, Regina, remember I was living on, in my car? Now I got a house. Now I got a car. Remar nurses come on here, tell me they directors of nursing. They charge nurses. Every nurse that you see, yes, every nurse that you see is a millionaire. It's just how they get their money. They either get it, you know, they look at it, oh, I get $80,000, $110,000 annually. And I'm not saying this to say, that it's all about the money because God knows it's not all about the money in nursing. Like literally the money is probably 
the last thing that you think about when you're on your job, right? But it is the idea that sometimes we let small little things come first before the larger goals. Sometimes we prioritize things that give us immediate satisfaction, like, you know, TV, internet, social media, whatever we, or, you know, we, we, we invest in uh, clothes, we invest in vacations, we invest in hair, nails, things that give you immediate gratification. But then we side eye books, resources, reviews, and we say, well, I don't know if I want to invest my money in that. Like, I don't know if I'm a pass right with that, but we give Netflix $9 every month and they're not giving you any return on investments. We give, you know, Starbucks and Target hundreds of dollars, but we will not put that same energy into our education, into our mind. Yes, you may not get the, the return, the gratification right away, but in the end, that is going to be your income generating activity of your future self. Don't make your future self hate you because you have not done what you needed to do. So, um, okay, I'm backing off. All right, I'm backing off. I don't want to take it too far. People get offended, but that's the reality of it. Some of us just need a priority check more than anything. And it's looking at long-term goals. What are the long-term goals for yourself? And what are the things that you do today that's going to get you there? As opposed to what are the things that you are doing and enjoying that's never going to get you there? Never going to get you there. And so we need to be less concerned about temporary things. Your nursing license is not a temporary thing. You only have to take this test once and then you have it for the entirety of your life. No matter where you go on this planet, you can be a nurse. I don't care where you go. If I wanted to get up and move to China, I could be a nurse. I have to learn the language probably, but I could just work with Americans. There's some American people in China. They need a nurse. All right. So anyways, I'm saying all this to say, you know, when I tell you guys that every Monday I'm investing in you, when I come here and give you my time, it's the truth. My time as a registered nurse is worth a certain amount of money. Every registered nurse has this position, right? Our time becomes the new money. And so when I say here, I come, I'm on here with you guys for an hour, two hours. That's the amount of time that I could be working and making money, but I'm investing it into the community that I've built. Because at the end of the day, nursing is my passion. And so if you are passionate about something, you should be able to do it for free, right? Because you love it that much. But there's somebody here, one person that will hear this free class and then they will move into action to do something that will change their life. And so I'm speaking to that one person. I'm speaking to that one person that today, now is the time, okay? Act because actions change things, all right? Actions change things. So that's it. That's the motivation. Do something today. And no matter how big or small it is, just do something that's going to progress you to the next step. And don't look at the entire picture. Just look at today. The Bible says sufficient are the worries of today. That's why you just need to ask for your daily bread. You're not going to get tomorrow's bread. You may not be, you know, you, and my son said this to me. He said, my son is six years old. He said, mommy, I don't want to go to high school because there might be bullies there and they may bully me. My son's in kindergarten, right? And so I said, son, you don't have to worry about when you're in high school because what you need will be given to you when you need it. So I'm saying to you as a mother, you don't have to worry about when it's time to take NCLEX that you don't feel ready. God is not going to give you what you need to take NCLEX until you get in front of the test. You don't need all of that courage and strength to take NCLEX. Your butt just needs to study. That's all you need to do today. Worry about that. All right. 
There's a lot of free things that you could be doing. There's a lot of ways you could be spending your time um, studying for NCLEX. But sufficient are the worries for today. Today is just Monday. You don't take the NCLEX today. You'll have what you need. God's grace, pray for it. You have what you need. All right. Um, if you don't have any, if you don't have any resources, get into my free trial of the V2. Start studying today. That's step one for some of y'all. Almost 300 nursing students are watching. Okay. Do that for me. No credit card required. Don't do it. Don't need to give anything. Just click, 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 get on there. All right. Better content, better results, better questions. All right, guys, you can, you will, and you must pass NCLEX. I love y'all.